Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Health Coach Lou, and you're listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. You're going to hear conversations from health professionals from around the world. We discuss mindset, diet, exercise, and the latest in health technology. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Uh, I have a special guest uh, <laughs> in the virtual building today, um, speaker, author, CEO of uh, Motion Infusion. And I'll have her talk more about that. Uh, Laura Putnam. Hey, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Corey. It's really nice to be here. Yeah. So, you know, let's just kind of start from the beginning, you know, Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I know you started as a teacher. And so I'm really curious mm-hmm. on how that transition went from being a teacher in the inner city to becoming, you know, kind of a thought leader in the wellness space. You know, it, it, so in addition to being a teacher, I also have been what I like to characterize as a lifelong mover. I was a competitive gymnast. I was on the Stanford women's gymnastics team. I had a stint as a professional dancer, uh, lots of teaching aerobics or personal training, sometimes on the side, sometimes full time. And so that's always something that I've really carried with me. So I did the same as a teacher where I, even though I was teaching history, I look for ways to incorporate movement into the classroom in a meaningful way. And I'm telling you, especially with some of these students that were harder to reach, when I would bring movement in, even if it was something as simple as we're going to have stations set up here and we're going to move from one table to another, right. my students were engaged in a way that they wouldn't have been otherwise. And so that experience was really an important part of my path to starting motion infusion and motion infusion based on the premise that when we move all of us, kids or adults, not only do we get healthier, but we get happier and we even get smarter. It's one of the best things that we can do for our brains. It's one of the best things that we can do to get more engaged in our lives and our learning. So that um, really has played a part in that. And, and then the other pieces, you know, I still consider myself an educator. I'm a lifelong educator. And now the classroom has changed a little bit. I like to think of the workplace <laughs> as school for adults. And just like school is a point of transformation for children and for adolescents, the same can be true for adults. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. And just like kids now being more virtual with their school and trying to go through that, a lot of adults are virtual at home, you know, working from home. Uh, how do you feel people can continue to keep that saying, keep your mission of being active um, and being engaged, but also being stuck in the house? How's that, how's that <laughs> transition been? It's hard. I mean, um, you know, here I am talking to you from uh, my bedroom here <laughs> <laughs> while well, my fiance is in the other room. And, uh, you know, we're all trying to navigate these new confusing uh, pathways <laughs> where Absolutely. work and home have become blended like no other time. But, uh, you know, one of the things that one of the best things that we can do is just to have walking meetings and, and what used to be walking meetings face-to-face, we can now do those virtually 
or we can just stand up. We can move together virtually in terms of a, you know, having a team-based stretch together on Zoom. Um, all of these things, they sound kind of silly, but uh, cumulatively, if we do this on a regular basis, it really can make a difference. And so it, in the work that I do, I really try to encourage people to do this as teams. And so that's one of the reasons why I work so closely with team leaders and helping them to understand the role that they play. And as a team leader, they can really bring this to their team. Yeah. And I, I didn't really understand how important a team leader was mm-hmm. to, to an organization at, at first, but really they are that middleman, you know, between, you know, the employees and the, you know, those, those guys, those executives on, you know, on the fourth floor or wherever, like they are that, that middle person, you know, I don't, but I also don't think they understand how much, um, what big of a role they have. Cause maybe they just feel like they're just a part of the, they're just a part of the crew too, but they could do, they can make a lot of change within the organization. If, if they use that power, right. It's so true. You, you know, I often say to senior leaders, you know, you're the ones who set the tone and you allocate resources, but to those team leaders, to those managers, you're the ones who actually give permission to your team members to engage with well-being. And so people are smart. They know that the the person who's largely responsible for their chances for promotion is their manager, their direct supervisor. So they're going to follow along with whatever is set by that that uh, team leader. So I, you know, it's so interesting. I've, I I think that you're absolutely right, though. I think a lot of team leaders and managers just aren't aware of how important their role is. And when I share with them statistics, like for example. Gallup research shows that the manager alone likely accounts for up to 70% of the variance of their team members' engagement, both with their work as well as their well-being. Then managers start to get that. Um, But also when I share with them examples of what, here's what other managers have done to become these multipliers of well-being for, for their team members. And so this is how you can do the same. But I've had managers say things to me, like after one of these managers on the move workshops, like, Oh my gosh, you know, I always thought that if I participated with my team members that, um, you know, that I was intruding and now I see that actually they're really counting on me to be in there with them making the effort and right. um, and it doesn't have to be so complicated. All I have to do is do speak and create. I got to do it myself, make the effort. I got to talk about it. And then I need to think about creating some team-based systems. It's pretty simple. Right. Because they, they're the ones that make it okay because maybe mm-hmm. they want to do something and they're like, but you know, but Susan isn't doing anything. And right. <laughs> so I'm just going to just stay here and not say anything. But if, if the supervisor is engaged as well, it's, it's inviting. I think, and I think that helps with the rapport and also with that employee engagement. Would would you agree with that? Is that employee engagement at work? Totally. And you know, one time I was uh, in a cafe in line waiting to get my latte and I was behind a, a group of young women and overheard this conversation where they were talking about their managers and, you know, is their manager somebody who, they can feel they're frowning if they get up and go for a run or, you know, another one sharing, Oh, well, my manager is a runner and, um, and she goes for a run every day at lunchtime. So I know it's okay for me to get up from my desk. So, 
you know, if you want engagement on your team, um, as a, if you're a manager, you cannot rely on HR to do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, you're, you got to do it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So with, Mm -hmm. um, so on that same, I guess, topic as, as engagement and getting people moving at work with the difficulties of, of the pandemic, um, Mm -hmm. what are some things that, you know, different groups and organizations can do to kind of keep that rapport up and they can keep that, that culture, that culture of being active going, you know, as, as they're at home right now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one is to recognize the extent to which each of us at work experiences culture is largely whatever, whatever we experience within our, within our team. That's a really important aha for every team leader to understand how much they that little ecosystem that they create within their team is the culture that mm-hmm. people experience. And so some of the things that I encourage these team leaders to think about, one is in regards specifically to movement, is to understand the benefits of movement beyond just it's going to help you to uh, protect yourself against, uh, you know, boost your immune system. It's going to help you on a physical level, but it also is one of the most important things that you can do for your state of mind. So for example, a study out of Duke university found that physical activity benefits us, uh, benefits us as much as Zoloft in terms wow. of um, managing stress and anxiety and depression. Um, it's also Uh, been shown to prime us to connect. So if you're a manager and you're wanting to build a higher level of rapport uh, within your team, if you're, if you're wanting to kind of um, foster more cooperation and collaboration, movement is one of the most powerful ways to do that. So this is something that companies like LinkedIn have adopted for a long time, the practice of a, of a walking meeting And then it's also one of the best things that you can do to become more innovative. So, um, you know, for for managers to know that the benefits go way beyond just physical is is really important. But beyond that, um, you know, I think in this challenging time for managers to also think about the things that they can do to move with their team, to build psychological safety within their team, and also to awaken compassion within their team. And um, that last piece of awakening compassion Mm. and people really feeling the sense like their team leader, their team uh, coworkers all have their back is so important, especially right now. I mean, um, a recent study came out in early September showing that rates of depression have tripled since the onset of the pandemic. And, you know, I'm experiencing this personally where um, there are now, the number has come up to six people within my social network Mm. who have, um, have died during this time, um, not from the pandemic, but from the the mental health collateral. Wow. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, that goes, that's just, that's deep. Mm -hmm. That is, that is so deep. Mm -hmm. And I don't think. I think people know on the surface, like we hear the studies or we hear the, we see the, um, the articles, mm-hmm. but it's almost like it's not real until it happens close to you 
like mm-hmm. or do you know somebody and it's like oh this this is there's this is real like this is affecting mm-hmm. this this will affect people way longer you know than the pandemic will be here you know what i mean this will affect people for a, a lifetime and yeah. And that goes into, you said something about, you know, compassion and it really, it kind of sparked this question to me is our employee, our employers looking at employee wellness programs or strategies the right way. <laughs> like for, from my experience and mind you, I was in the corporate wellness space as a health coach. Like I wasn't for a few years, I wasn't, I didn't have any say in anything. <laughs> like I just coached. But it seemed like the, it was just, hey, we'll, we'll throw these health coaches at you. And then um, you, ha- you have to do, you have to meet with the health coach or you're going to pay these premiums. It almost seemed like wellness was, um, if you do it, then you'll get this in your HSA account. If you do it, then I'll give you this bonus. If you don't, you'll have to pay. It was, the the thought was, Maybe in the marketing to the employee was like, hey, wellness, is, this is great. But it never came off that way as as like, a, hey, regardless of how much it costs, we value what you do for us. This is what we're going to do for you while you're here. I don't know, for the for most of your day. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And like our companies really valuing their employee wellness as something that is not just a spin for them or a cost, but a real value to the person, not just take the employee out of it, but the person like they're here eight, 10, 12 hours a day or working. Um, There was a a statistic that I read a few weeks ago that since people have been working from home, um, their eight hour day has, has stretched to no longer days because work is just right there. You know what I mean? So productivity is up. So that's good for the company, but their employees are just working more because it's just there. So are they, I'm going to say, ask again, the message question are, do you feel in, in companies are looking at wellness wrong? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not all of them, not all of them. Uh, but I think a lot of them, uh, I think a lot of them are, And I think there's a fundamental disconnect between looking at wellness as a program versus a way of life. Mm, mm -hmm. And you can have all the programs in the world and your workforce is not necessarily well. And conversely, you can have no programs and you may well have a very happy, healthy workforce. And the reason being that uh, well-being is just a way of life. So I, I think that it has to be reframed as uh, more as like, what can we do as an organization and team by team to enhance the quality of life for our team members so that on a fundamental level, our workforce, uh, the individuals that comprise our workforce are healthier, they are happier, and they are closer to their version of me at my best because of where they work, as opposed to uh, all of that in spite of where they work. And I think that for too many, it's a really heavy lift for them to be their best selves because of where they work, 
and that that uh, their their place of work actually chips away at their overall quality of life and um, their sense of self. And frankly, many of those companies have uh, that are some of the worst companies to work for have extensive wellness programs. But meanwhile, um, often those companies that offer all of these, these wellness programs or have the, you know, the margarita machine and the ping pong tables and the mindfulness room and the programs um, may well have a really toxic culture and they, and, and they tolerate that. Um, I see that disconnect over and over and over and over again. And um, I just, I, I just think that well being really is, um, in its truest sense is um, just basic, basic things. Like uh, I feel seen when I go to work, whether it's virtual or in person. I feel cared for um, by my coworkers and by my boss and by my senior leaders. Um, I feel like m- my quality of life is enhanced uh, when I'm at, at work. Um, I feel like my boss appreciates me not just for what I do, but for who I am as a, as a human being. My, I mean, it's amazing. Some of the most basic things that I talk to managers and leaders are about, about are things like, um, do you call your team members by their names? <laughs> <laughs> and do you keep track of things like, you know, their important dates in their lives, like their mm. birthdays or their anniversaries or are you asking about how their children are doing um these are all things that i i just think are so critical and um but it just are o- overlooked yeah it, it's funny the that little stuff goes mm-hmm. a long way when i first started as my role as a, as a health coach in in my current and primary care setting like the first week i was there i crossed paths with the ceo and he goes, oh, hey, Corey, I've never met this guy in my life. But it was like, that was so cool to me that I was like, I'm so excited that I'm here. Like the CEO knew my name. It felt like he was like some rock star that I like, I just met, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, he knew, he knows who I am. And just that little thing like, oh, hey, Corey, how you doing? How you liking the role so far? Glad you're here. Done. And, and that did more for your well-being, I would imagine, than any program. Absolutely. Wellness program. So, um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, one of my favorite stories is I, 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 when I was writing workplace wellness that works, I, I called up, um, I, I was in the part kind of deep into the part about culture and how does culture interface with pr- leveraging the workplace to promote better health and well being for our workforce. So I called up Patagonia and I asked to speak with the, the wellness program manager or whoever it was. And, um, and the guy started laughing and he was like, um, we don't have a wellness program, uh, manager. We don't have a wellness program. Uh, but I guess you can talk with our team, the the person who's like our, uh, kind of engagement person. Mm. Um, but just the point being, you know, in a company like Patagonia, well-being is just a way of life. And there's no need for a set aside program. And, you know, hopefully all of us in our roles as kind of in explicit roles as wellness people, um, hopefully there'll be no need for us at some point when it just starts to become a way of life for every organization. 
Right, right. And that's my next question to, uh, you know, Laura, what's, what are some, what do you, where do you see employee wellness in the future? Like, what are some of those steps that we need to start taking to see more companies just taking on more of a, um, what they are just wellness instead of needing these strategies and these programs to, to offer it to their employees? Well, I, I mean, certainly in the age of COVID, in the age of post George Floyd uh, in this age of really coming to terms with our history um, that is steeped in systemic mm-hmm. racism. Um, certainly, uh, we're seeing a lot around, um, and, and I'm gr- grateful for the fact um, that we're starting to see emerging between DEI justice uh, initiatives and well being, and how you can't have one without the other. Right. So um, that also changes the conversation around wellness, which is um, wellness is too often framed as a conversation around, quote, taking personal responsibility for your health and well-being. When we know, (laughs) we look at something like systemic racism, or we look at the disproportionate impact that COVID has had on communities of color, uh, we know that this goes, this transcends, transcends the take personal responsibility for your health and well-being com- a conversation. Agreed. And instead, it has to be more of a conversation around what are the systems that we as a society have in place that's making it much easier for some to become their better selves and a whole lot harder for others. And how does that uh, get repeated on every level? So whether it's community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, company by company, or team by team. And um, so the conversation for every individual now becomes, okay, given the world I live in and the extent to which the systems within that either benefit me or don't, uh, the place I work, the team I'm on, the boss that I work for, um, the school that my children go to, now... How can I become my best self? In other words, how do I respond to those? And then conversely, how can we collectively be thinking about how we can address those systems? So it really changes the conversation from you take personal responsibility to more about what can we collectively do with the understanding that there is no me without you and um, that the only way forward is together, certainly laid bare by, by COVID. Amen to that. And it may be an uncomfortable conversation, but it's a necessary conversation mm-hmm. because there was a huge light shined on those differences, you know, in, in this time, like we see it and there's, there's no, well, maybe like, yeah, no, like we, we, we know. So it's, it's going to take a lot of in companies or these people higher up to just sit down and have a really uncomfortable conversation but some beautiful things can come from it and to, to improve the wellness of everybody. Because if you improve the wellness of the employee, you improve the wellness of that employee's family and that employee's community. And it's just this, it's just a snowball effect that it, 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 it can be a very beautiful thing if we just take the time to, to do the hard work right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, we live in an individualistic society. Mm-hmm which is great in some ways, but we pay the price when it comes to our overall health and well-being. 
So case in point, uh, we as a nation, as you know, as we all know, um, spend two and a half times more per capita on healthcare costs than any other country in the world. So you'd think, gosh, we must be super healthy. (laughs) (laughs) But of course we're not. Right. Meanwhile, even though we're spending all this money on on healthcare, only 3% of that total healthcare spend goes toward public health. In other words, we're spending all this money on uh, healthcare that is designed for the individual, as opposed to healthcare that's going to make everybody healthier. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, so it is no wonder that we have framed better health and well-being as uh, as an individual pursuit when in fact it has to be a collective one. So we, there's a lot that we can learn from other cultures, from other countries uh, around the world. I mean, case in point, um, when I moved, uh, I lived in a small village in Ghana for seven months and, and uh, it's been a number of years ago. And the first question that they asked me when I arrived was what day of the week I was born. Now, I don't know if you know what day of the week you're born. I don't. Uh, I didn't oh, either. Sunday. I want to say it was a Sunday. Okay. <laughs> so, so then I'll, uh, so I am a Friday baby. And um, so the reason why that's significant is that in Ghana, there's a tradition that you are not given your individualized Christian name until you are two weeks old. And during that two-week period, you are only known by your day of the week name. Huh. So in your case, you would have been known only as Quasi for those two weeks. And then you would be given the name Corey when you were two weeks old. In my case, um, it would be Efwa. But what ends up happening is that people end up using their day of the week name more often than their individual Christian name. <laughs> so imagine, if you will, a community in which there are effectively seven names for boys and men and wow. seven names for girls and women. And the reason why that's so significant is that it's what matters more is that you establish how you are part of a community as opposed to establishing your individual identity. And, um, you know, not to say that it's not important to have an individual identity, but it's also so important that we create these structures, these rituals that really help us to feel like that we are part of something bigger. Yeah. So what you're saying is that wellness needs a rebranding. Like we need need like a brand manager on wellness right now. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think to, to your point, Laura, is... We are, even, even if you're not a social person, we are social beings as we like being shut down. We've, that you've urged to be with community as more now than ever. Like I, like I love being a part, like talking and being engaging with people, but I've never felt that urge more now than I can't, when I can't do it than, than before. And it just goes to show that, you know, wellness is just more than um, your BMI. Right. It's, it's more than just, you know, what your cholesterol is and how you can improve it or, you know, things like that. It's it's so much more it's community. It's, you know, how how you're living, who you're where you're where you're working. There's there are a lot of different pieces that are not um, 
taken for taken in consideration right now? Yeah, I mean, if there is any silver bullet when it comes to our overall health and well-being, our longevity, our quality of life, it's connections with other mm. people. And as Dean Ornish uh, speaks about this, who is, as we all know, kind of leading um, leading mind around heart disease uh, prevention and um he talks about how there is no single intervention that is more important, whether you're talking about diet, exercise, stress management, uh, whatever it is, than connection. Love and connection is what matters most. And, and, and frankly, it's also what is the most powerful why behind why our life is worth living in the first place and why it's why we need to be exercising, why we need to be right. um, eating better or doing all those other things that we're trying to promote in, in the health and wellness space. Um, but connection is, is the, the primary reason, you know, um, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Sergeant Briggs who um, his job for 17 years was patrolling up and down Golden Gate bridge to try to inter. Yeah, it, it, I wrote about it in my book, and it just is so meaningful to me. And I actually got to meet Kevin. Um, but um, so he spent 17 years trying to intervene, preventing potential jumpers from jumping. And um, so he described how what he would do anytime he came across someone who was getting ready to jump, that, that he would try to do anything he could to find the hook mm. that would get them to change their mind to create that connection. So first of all, he would try to create a connection between the two of them so that that person would even be willing to engage in a conversation with them, but then find that hook that was going to really keep them from jumping. And so one story he told was a gentleman um, who had engaged in conversation for like four hours. And um, finally he found the hook, which was, he said, you know, um, just so you know, if you jump, your children's chances of also committing suicide exponentially increases. Mm. And that was the hook. That was the hook that this gentleman felt a connection with his children. And um, that's what kept him from, that's what saved him. Wow. Wow. So finding that, finding that why, what, mm -hmm. what was his reason for li his, his reason for living? Yep. This wow. connection connection that's great you know, Laura what what keeps you so motivated and, and um eager to keep doing the work that you're doing right now hmm. um well certainly there's more uh, you know if you want your business case for wellness <laughs> <laughs> here it is right? um you know or if you want your moral imp imperative for well-being for all here it is um, I mean, you know, this country and our global community has been brought to its knees because of health. It's the foundation for everything. If, you know, without your health and your well-being, uh, we have nothing. So um, it's it's just so fundamental. And, um, and it, you know, again, it's more than health. It's about really uh, all of us um, being able to be human 
we are human beings above all. And, um, you know, I often think about Bronnie Ware, who uh, is a hospice or formerly was a hospice nurse. She worked with dying patients for 15 years. And over that 15 year period, she described how she heard the same dying regrets over and over and over again. And the top dying regret was, I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the one that others expected of me. Mm. So that's something certainly that I have held true for myself and um, not surprisingly because of that have had a very mixed career from living and working in West Africa to a stint as a professional dancer in New York City to being an urban public high school teacher to living and working in a children's hospital in Mexico City to spending a season skiing in um Colorado and uh, wow. Vale, Colorado. Uh, but, you know, just, you know, I, I feel like that my work fundamentally is about helping people to live a life that is true to themselves, not the one that is uh, expected of them. Awesome. That's awesome. Laura, again, thank you so much for your time. If people wanted to get in contact with you um, and learn more about you, you know, tell us, you know, where can, where can they can connect with you? The best way to connect with me is uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can just find me under Laura Putnam. I'm also active on Instagram, Laura Putnam author, as well as Twitter, uh, which is at Motion Infusion. And then, of course, you can go to motioninfusion.com and uh, get in touch with me that way as well. Awesome. Well, again, Laura, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was a pleasure. It was, it was super, super nice. And um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.